0: Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com/wondersuite. That's bluehost.com/wondersuite. Here you go. Here you go.
1: Shit. No, I'm not swearing at you all. It's nothing personal. It's the word of the day. And it's Shits Creek. This is a day I've been looking forward to for quite a long time. It is the season premiere of season six, the final season of Shits Creek. If you haven't watched it, find it. It's on Netflix the first five years. In order to watch season six, you have to have something called Pop TV, unless, of course, you're in Canada, and then you can just be in Canada. But if you're not in Canada, you're going to need Pop TV. Then you're going to need someone's password. Because if you've cut the cord, which many of you had, you have to speak to Mike's mom. Then you will get a login, username, password. You'll need that because if you wait for the entire show to drop on Netflix, you will be despondent beyond repair. Can you imagine this is it? 14 episodes to figure out will David and Patrick get married? Spoiler alert, my guess is they will. How will they possibly finish up with Alexis? What will they do with Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy? How will I live without Shit's Creek every single day in my life? Ew, David, that's what I hear all day long here in the studio, and I love it. So get out there and know that today my favorite word is shit. So the NFL decided to make a few moves today, and boy, did it get some attention. Let's take them one at a time here on Nothing Personal. Coming to you live from Fort Lauderdale, CBS Sports HQ as well. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing. So when you have a pitch, when you have a pitching, when you have a coaching opening in the NFL. There's a lot of copycat that goes on. Let me take you behind the scenes. Owners pay attention to what other owners are doing. Presidents pay attention to what other presidents are doing. And anytime you feel that you want to hire someone or trade for someone or sign for someone and you get an inkling that they are wanted by somebody else, you tend to act quickly and often irrationally. This is why agents constantly leak out into the media that their free agent players have multiple teams in on them. This is why agents leak out constantly that there are multiple teams looking at trading or acquiring players. Did you know that head coaches in the NFL and managers in MLB, they all have agents too? And the job of those agents, even college coaches have agents. So if you're Matt Rule, you definitely have an agent. You're the coach at Baylor. And you are in the driver's seat. You are interviewing to become the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. You also know that the Giants have a head coach opening and that you're on their list. So what do you do? You make it public and absolutely available to be known to the owner of both teams every move you're making. So Rule made it very clear that he was going to go to New York. So what does David Tepper do? Do you know that name, David Tepper? Yes, billionaire, owner of the Panthers. We've talked about him on previous episodes of Nothing Personal. What's interesting about people like David Tepper who own teams is they are never used to anyone saying no to them. From the minute they wake up to the moment they go to sleep, whether they sleep two hours or ten hours, no one says no. It's basically a psychophant convention. So as a result, when David Tepper gets in his mind that he wants to hire Matt Rule, it's over. He is going to overpay and do whatever he has to do. In the old days, owners didn't jump on their private jets and go visit coaches to try to recruit them. No, you come visit the team. You interview with the team because you're the one trying to get a job. My, how the tables have turned. We're talking about a coach, Matt Rule, who is a new to the NFL, basically, coaching at Baylor, successful, fine, $70 million, he parlayed the fact that he was going to get on a plane and go interview with the Giants into a $70 million contract. Now, I'm going to hear this all the time from you. Thanks for tweeting at me at David P. Sampson. I'm not upset. I'll answer as many as I can. You're going to say it's only $60 million. Keep your pants on. And I'm going to tell you with incentives it can get to seventy. And then I'm going to tell you, there is no way in the world that Matt Rule, as a first-time NFL coach, is worth that amount of money. And I agree that NFL coaches should be the highest paid. They're more important than MLB managers or NBA coaches or NHL coaches. But when you've got leverage, the price goes up. So David Tepper gets himself on a plane, and he basically says to Matt Rule, you've got a blank check. All I ask of you is you don't Go sleep over at Jerry Jones' house. Anything else you want to do, just don't do a sleepover with Jerry. So then the Giants say to themselves, what are we going to do? We need a coach. So they announce it 45 minutes later that they have hired Joe Judge. Not Aaron Judge's brother. Joe Judge is the special teams and wide receivers coach for the New England Patriots. This is the oldest story in the book. When you're hiring someone, you want them to have good genes. It's like a racehorse. You're looking to see who the stud was and when the mating took place, how good the bloodline is. We always talk about coaches' trees, the coaching trees in the NFL or in the NBA, like from Greg Popovich in the NBA, or from Bill Parcells or Bill Walsh, for those of you a little older. For those of you younger now, Bill Belichick has his own tree. Bill Belichick used to be on a tree with Bill Parcells. Joe Judge had a lot of good leaves. He worked with Nick Saban in Alabama. He then worked with Bill Belichick with the New England Patriots. He's got five rings, two college, three professional. But here's what he really has that no one else had. He had the ability to say to the Giants at the perfect time, yes. Right after they were told by Matt Rule that he wasn't going to fly to New York, they went to their plan B. And it may be plan C or plan D. Because when you're hiring a new coach or a manager, that's what you have. We would put together basically a flow chart. The flow chart is who we're interviewing on one side who we have to interview, but are not going to hire on the other side. And we're going to talk about that soon. Then in what order we are going to interview, who we're going to offer the job to, what the contract terms are. And then we would say, this is the drop dead amount. If Ozzie Guillen demands a fifth year, we're going to say no. We only want to give him three, but if he asks for four, we're going to say yes. He wants two and a half million a year. We're going to say yes. If it's 3 million, no. All of that is absolutely predetermined. There's no emotion involved. So the Giants knew exactly where they were going to pivot, and they pivoted very quickly. They're being criticized in some circles right now. Why would you have to name a coach so quickly? Why not go through a process? Why not try to meet with as many coaches as possible? Try to learn as much as you can. And the reason is that's the media and the fans talking. Owners know exactly who they're gonna hire. It's not even a question. They go into every search knowing who's got the advantage and everyone else is fighting uphill. They are salmon swimming upstream. Sometimes it's worth it for the salmon, but most times you just end up flailing about and becoming bloody. So for the Giants, they're in a division in the NFC East where you've seen 75% of that division undergo a coaching change. Mike McCarthy, the only one with immediate NFL head coaching experience to the Cowboys. And then you've got the answer with uh, Ron Rivera coming in, obviously head coaching with the Redskins. The Giants go the other direction and go with Joe Judge. Does that mean anything in terms of the ability for the Giants to make the playoffs? I've seen a lot of people tweeting at me and talking about, well, this is great for the Giants. Joe Judge is perfect. He comes from a winning program. I never really understood that as a team president It didn't matter to me whether a manager had come from a winning program or not. What I was looking for is what I believed would be a fit for me and a manager with the team that we had put together in the market where we are and whether or not his system matched the system that I wanted to see. It was never about, oh, he's got five rings. He's going to come here and win a ring. Because do you think that the Giants situation is like the Patriots situation? Do you think for a minute that Daniel Jones is Tom Brady in his prime or even when Tom Brady was young? Now, I'll tell you that Saquon Barkley is a lot more for Judge to work with than anyone. Saquon Barkley, thank you, Coca. Saquon, Saquon, for those of you new to nothing personal, you're going to learn a few things about me. Um, I love the content. I love talking about everything that happens in the world of sports. I am horrific with names. I never really understood how to read all those crazy accents when you look in the dictionary and it says how to pronounce something. I've never been very good at that. So luckily, I have someone in my ear. For those of you who think it's a mystery, everyone on TV always has an earpiece, and it's not because they're listening to music like they're plugged in the way most of you are when you're walking down the street driving me crazy, looking at your phone and not paying attention. This is actually connected to a producer who's supposed to tell me every time I make a mistake and he does, and he whispers in my ear when I want him to scream because I'm talking at the same time, and he's telling me, it's Saquon. Is it Saquon, Coca? It's Saquon. And the thing about Saquon, as Joe Judge will learn, is you want to build your offense around him. Just because he's a wide receivers coach does not mean you change the system to fit the manager or the coach or what his experience is. You take the assets of your players. So when you're out looking for coaches, you have one job to do. You need to find the coach that fits you as an owner and president. You need to find a coach that you think fits the personnel that you have, the GM who's bringing in more personnel through the draft. You can't listen to the fans. You can't listen to the media. You can't read the comment section. You don't go on Twitter. You make your list and you stick to your list. Now, what's my issue with that? Nothing. But you know what's trending right now in the world? the Rooney Rule. So what's the Rooney Rule? Rooney Rule is a guy named Dan Rooney, very obviously well-known Steeler executive, passed away in 2017. NFL started this. The Rooney Rule means this. When you are undergoing a coaching search or a general manager search, you must interview minority candidates to fill that open position. Then it got expanded. MLB came up with its own rule. It's called the Selig Rule. Bud Selig, the commissioner emeritus. The Selig rule says anytime you interview for a manager or a general manager or anybody, you have to interview a minority candidate. Black, Asian, Hispanic, doesn't matter. It has to be any minority. Ironically, in Miami, when I was interviewing with the Marlins, every time I interviewed a white guy, I always said that was a minority in Miami, but it didn't matter because I didn't pay attention to the Selig rule because I paid attention to the candidates who I wanted to hire along with the owner and the GM. So it didn't matter to me that Freddie Gonzalez was a minority or Ozzie Guillen was a minority or Edwin Rodriguez was a minority or that Mike Redmond wasn't or Don Mattingly wasn't. What mattered is that I wanted to hire the manager I wanted to hire. And that's what's missing right now for all of the people going crazy about the Rooney Rule and the issues of you think the teams have not been following it. The reason teams don't follow the Rooney Rule is they don't care about the Rooney Rule. It is merely for optics. It is critical for NFL and MLB and NBA to look as though, excuse me, excuse me, to look as though You are casting a wide net that reflects the diversity of the audience that your sponsors want you to have and the fan base that you think you have. But as a team operator, I can tell you, I don't care about those things. Do you think when I'm in Miami that we would hire an Hispanic manager because we were in a hugely Hispanic market? What exactly good does that do? Do Hispanics want to come to Marlins games to watch the manager, or do they want to see a team win? I can tell you that no one came to Marlins games because we didn't win. Do you think people will come to Giants games because Joe Judge is the coach? Or if they had brought in a high-profile coach, do you think Jerry Jones is counting on attendance because of Mike McCarthy or Daniel Snyder because of Ron Rivera? Do you think Daniel Snyder believes he's going to tap in to the Hispanic market in the Washington, D.C. area? it's not even a thought. And I understand that you want it to be our thought. I understand in a perfect world, you would say the Rooney rule is there and the Selig rule is there in order to create a level playing field. But it's not level because we're in charge. It's not a democracy. It is a meritocracy and it's a monarchy. And you can tell me to follow rules and here's what's going to happen. We're going to make a mockery of it. If I'm Jerry Jones, I'm going to interview Marvin Lewis, but I'm not going to invite him in his PJs to sleep over at my house. Why not? Why did McCarthy get the sleepover invite and not Marvin Lewis? Because Jerry Jones was never going to hire Marvin Lewis. That was a token Rooney Rule interview. I've done them. You have to do them. There's actually a list of minority candidates that circulates around. We once thought about interviewing Willie Randolph. He was the ultimate minority candidate back in the day. You may remember him, number 30 for the New York Yankees, played second base. Good player. And then he was a manager of the Mets, not so good. But he wanted to manage again, and he was on a list until he realized that every time he went to an interview, it was strictly perfunctory that no one was hiring him. They all had their decisions made. He was a check-the-box type of interview. And there's many other candidates who have been interviewed who realize they are simply check-the-box candidates. It offends me. I don't want to have to interview people just to check a box. I want to hire the best person for the job. It doesn't matter to me the color, the age, the height, the weight, the sex. None of it matters. I care about one thing. I care about making money and winning in that order. And a Rooney rule and a Selig rule are not going to change it. And if you think I'm alone, you're sorely mistaken. Well, I told you that uh, money matters, and I told you that winning matters. That's not just in football. That is true in every sport. And we're seeing that today in the biggest baseball story of the day is what's going on with the Boston Red Sox and the possibility that they were stealing signs even during the 2018 World Series when they won the World Series. Remember when they led the league in home runs, runs, they were unstoppable? This is actually a big deal, and I know it because you told me. I do a segment every day called So You Want to Talk to Samson. What that means is that you tweet at me, at David P. Sampson. Get into my DMs. They're public and open. Try to be—you don't have to be nice. You can be angry. You can be happy. You can be whatever you want. Just don't be apathetic. And if you're interesting, I may take your topic. But I'll always try to answer. At David P. Sampson. Right now is when Coca puts it on the underbar on CBS Sports HQ. So everyone watching at home can see the Twitter handle, at David P. Sampson or he just says, explain Red Sox and Astros scandal, as though I need my glasses to see what it is we are about to talk about. So you wanted to talk about it, and we're going to. What I was asked about was the state of the Red Sox, and the person who sent me this DM request, so you want to talk to me, was really talking about Lindor and Betts, and the luxury tax issue, and what was going on on the field. And we may get to that, But I'm going to switch it up a little bit and tell you what's going on off the field is very important right now in the executive suite with the owners and the team president. A source today revealed that during the 2018 season, the following things would happen during a game. I'm going to cut right through it so you don't have to read the article. Here's how it works. During a game, the way you build the ballpark is you've got the clubhouse where the players Are In there, you've got a kitchen, you have a training room, and you build a hallway to go from the clubhouse out to the dugout. And in that hallway, you make sure the players pass by two things always. The first thing they pass by is the video replay room. The second place they pass by is a toilet. Those are the only two things necessary between the clubhouse and between the dugout. So in Boston, players would leave the Fenway Park Clubhouse. They would walk past this big room that had a ton of monitors, and these monitors are supposed to be used to help a manager decide when to challenge a play. They're called the replay rooms. That's what they were designed to be. But in our replay room at Marlins Park, which is on the way from the clubhouse to the dugout, we had the capabilities of having cameras everywhere on everybody it's almost like mission control in Houston. Have you ever seen how a security room works with all the little security cameras where you can see what's going on in your ballpark or in your house? Or if you ever want to spy on your nanny and you put the little camera in the teddy bear's eye? Yeah, we all watch Wolf of Wall Street. Well, in the video replay rooms, what you're supposed to be doing is having one replay employee. We had, someone, we had several guys. Our last one was Eddie Lucas who was a uh, former player, but you have someone who's watching and paying attention to when the umpires make a mistake and then communicates to the dugout, hey, challenge that play. Except then we realized that the replay room can actually be used for something else. We can use the center field camera, which every stadium has, and we can see what the opposing team catcher is doing. Two, one, three, four. Have you ever watched a game where the catchers, they all have a... um, nail polish on, and it, it, it looks like highlighter, right? I'm so glad that I get a manicure because I'm showing you my nails up close. How gross is it when you interview a person? They have cuticles and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, don't bite your nails. Trust me, you'll get a better job. So the catcher puts down a number of fingers, and we're paying attention to the sequence. Why do I mean sequence? Because when a catcher puts down one, two, one, four, one, three, well, is that a fastball? One. Is that a curveball? two? Is that a slider three? Or is that a change up four? Which one is it? Well, there's something called an indicator. An indicator means that after the catcher does something, the next sign is what the pitcher is going to throw. So what we are always looking for in order to steal signs are indicators. What is the sequence that will show me what the pitch is going to be? So, if we know that every time the catcher goes one, two, three, that it's the second sign after that, so one finger down, two fingers down, three fingers down, back to one, back to one, we know that that second one means a fastball is coming. Why is this important to realize? Well, it's not unless you can communicate that to the batter. So, all this talk you're hearing about stealing signs, none of it makes a tinker's damn of difference if you don't communicate to the hitter. So in Houston, what they did, they took their garbage can in the dugout and they hit it. I hope this microphone's picking it up. And they would hit it in a sequence that would indicate to the batter what pitch was coming. Too obvious. We never like doing that. We have a much better way. You get it to the second baseman or you get it to the coach at third base. And you make sure that they've got an indicator to give to the hitter. So if it's going to be a fastball, we would have the second base runner stand on the third base side of the second base bag. If it's going to be a breaking ball, you stand on top of the bag and bounce around. If it's going to be a change-up, you take your hat off. Have you ever seen a player take his hat off, his helmet off, and rub his fingers through his hair like he's in some soap commercial? Do you think that that is because the players want to touch their hair with their pine-tar crusted hands and fix their hair underneath the helmet? It's the one sport where having nice hair, even if you're Bryce Harper, doesn't much matter. But that can be an indication, hand through the hair. There's all sorts of different ways to do it. All teams do it differently. But if you think for one second that the Red Sox and the Astros are the only teams who are out there trying to steal signs and communicate those signs to their batter, you are sorely mistaken. 30 teams do it. It is very frustrating for me to listen to other teams come out and act holier than thou, upset and angry with the Astros or the Red Sox. The only reason to be upset with the Astros and the Red Sox is because you're jealous of them that you weren't as good as they were as getting your signs, that you weren't as smart as they were. It's the reason we were always jealous of the Rays. You've heard me talk about nothing personal. I admit it. Of course, I was jealous of the Rays. Can you imagine a low payroll and you win games? I always had a low payroll and didn't win games. Of course, you're going to be jealous. And if they're smart enough to steal my signs, that's my fault. But MLB is losing its mind. But let's dig deeper. Why is MLB upset? Well, it's all about the integrity of the game. You've got World Series champions who are now accused of cheating. You've got other teams who are calling them out, which they shouldn't. But here's the rub. Back when I started, gambling was not really looked at too kindly by Major League Baseball. Gambling on games was unheard of. Now, it is a huge revenue source. MLB has a deal with MGM. Ever heard of the Bellagio? The MGM Grand? National Harbor in D.C.? Yes, it is a huge revenue source for baseball. Anything that cuts to the integrity of the game, that gives an advantage, that's a problem. But let's think deeper. That's not the problem. I I just want you to know, having a team have an advantage is not a problem for baseball or football or in gambling. It's when the odds makers cannot put that advantage into the form of a point spread or a money line or an over under total. That's the integrity issue. That's the money issue. That's why baseball is going to come down and has to come down so hard. On teams who are doing it because they have to show all of the gambling outfits. Hey, when you make your lines, it's fair, it's reasonable. We're hearing today it's possible that the Astros are going to get punished. Now, that'll be a very interesting to watch. Here's what I want you to think about when you read about: Do the Astros get punished for what happened in 2017 and 18? If Jeff Lunow, their general manager, he may be their president of baseball ops now. If Jeff Lunow gets suspended, that means that MLB went for the takedown. If they go lower level and exonerate Jeff Lunow and Jim Crane, the owner, you know it'll be the same usual cop-out that MLB has done when they slap the hands of teams. And that will not act as a deterrent. I promise you that anything we did in the dugout, if I knew about it, so did our GM. There is no way that there is comprehensive sign stealing and trash can banging activity going on without the GM knowing. But is baseball willing to say, is the commissioner willing to say that we are going to make Jeff Lunau pay the price? That is a huge conversation he's having with Jim Crane, the owner there has to be a settlement of sorts. Will Jim Crane let Jeff Lunau hang out to dry? This is not a Brendan Taubman incident. Remember what he did with the reporters. That's not this. This is a much bigger deal. So we can say Astros punishment is coming. We can say Red Sox punishment is coming, but let's see exactly who gets punished and for how long. And that will tell you how serious baseball is about the issue with sign stealing as it relates to the integrity of their game so they can sit across from all of their sponsors, especially gambling ones, and say, hey, we've got you covered. I'll tell you, I, uh, I did something last night that I shouldn't have done, and I, I admit it. I, uh, I got to start watching all the Oscar movies and one movie I haven't yet seen is uh, a movie called Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. And I'm going to review it now, but I'm going to review it in a way just that's going to be a little longer. Uh, I couldn't sleep after watching this movie. This movie hurt me in, in, in a way that none of the reviewers have discussed. As a matter of fact, the movie's getting critically panned. Joaquin Phoenix won Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Drama. He will win the Oscar. His performance is haunting. His performance is so spot on that, strangely enough, when he gave his acceptance speech at the Golden Globes, people thought that he may have still been in a character. But I said on Twitter, at David P. Sampson, I said, hey, that's—by the way, thank you all when you're watching these reviews for rating Give me the five-star rating if you would. And also, if you want to ask me any questions as part of your rating, I'm going to start answering some questions maybe in a bonus podcast down the line. If you have any questions that you want to put in that are more sort of lasting, don't ask me who's going to win the game tonight. You can tweet that at me, and we'll talk about it every day on the show. But if you've got specific detailed questions on topics, put them in the five-star rating, put them in the topics, and I'll try to do an extra podcast about that, an extra nothing personal. So Joaquin Phoenix is just socially awkward. We talked about it a little bit yesterday in our review of the Globes. But then I watched the performance. And uh, the reason why it's haunting is that it, it's not that it glorifies violence. And it's not that it makes mental illness something to laugh at or something to be concerned about. It's actually the combination of what this movie does. It's directed by Todd Phillips, who directed The Hangover. It's, this is not a comedy by any stretch. Joaquin Phoenix, this is the story of how he becomes the Joker. It's like a prequel to the Batman movies. It shows how he meets Bruce Wayne, who's a child in this movie, and Bruce Wayne's dad. It shows his basically taking himself from a loner. It's sort of portrait of a serial killer when you're a loner and you're just shunned by society, you're mentally ill, the the, basically the system can't handle you, you're not on enough medicines, you're not on the right medicines, and you end up getting lost and then becoming psycho. What's the worst thing that we can do to mentally ill patients? Give them a gun. And that is how the Joker started, because someone gave him a gun. Joaquin Phoenix dives so deeply into this character And is so perfect at it that I understand people not realizing what's true and what's right about him personally, right? You imagine him getting into bed with Rooney Mara. I can only imagine, right, the giant's owner. Remember, she's the daughter of giant's ownership. Saying to themselves, is this really who my daughter's with? Could he be like Joker? Well, no, that's not Joaquin Phoenix. But when you're watching the movie, don't watch it to say, is this a good movie or bad movie? Watch it for his performance, Don't watch it in the dark if you can help it because I finished around midnight or 1230 and I was basically up until 330 in the morning because I was so scared. I had every light on in the house, so scared to close my eyes. I thought I got over my fear of the dark. Therapist was not available in the middle of the night. I couldn't find Billy Corbin. He was sleeping. So I was forced to just stay awake and work on other things, which much to the chagrin of our producer, Matt Coca, I was able to finish. Worked on today's show, worked on my schedule, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about Joker and about Joaquin Phoenix. It's worth your time. Make sure you watch the movie. Ooh, the XFL is coming. The XFL is coming. What's the best thing about starting a league? We talked about it on previous episodes. The first thing you need is money. Once you have money, then my wait to see will come true that the XFL will have a full season. But the second best thing people say is the draft when players are added to the teams. Well, we saw that happen here at CBS Sports HQ. We were following the draft and we were looking at a bunch of quarterbacks who were placed on teams and then watching players and seeing where they had washed out or where they had played college. That didn't really excite me. What did excite me is yesterday, is today, I think it was today, Coca, when the XFL rules were announced, they released their entire rule book. So here's what you do. an on, on MLB, when I was part of the competition committee, we were looking at rules all the time. I've told you that I carried around the rule book. Some of the rules are arch- archaic and some rules you know, are applicable every once in a blue moon. But then you look at some of the bigger rules, some of the things that really impact a game, some of the things that come up every single day in baseball. We spent a ton of time on those things as part of the competition committee. And it's really hard to change rules when you're baseball or the NFL or MLB or NBA or NHL. It's hard because you've got tradition. But can you imagine how intoxicating it is? How free it must feel when you start a league and you can make up your own rules. That is heaven. So the XFL sat down, they put a group of people together, and they came up with some doozies. I want to highlight three of them or four of them that to me... Make it very compelling to watch the XFL. First of all, in the NFL, and of course playoffs are different because who doesn't love watching playoffs in the NFL? Four great games coming up. Can't wait to pick them. What is more boring than an extra point? Is there anything more boring? The NFL tried moving the, the the line of scrimmage back a couple yards to not make it such a gimme. Maybe more teams would go for two. They suspected. It's just boring. So the XFL sort of kept track of everything that's wrong with the NFL, and they changed it. It is their desire to be the not, the N-squared FL. We are not the National Football League. That's what they're going to be called, the N-squared FL. Get it? N-squared is two Ns, not National Football League. So here's the rule. When you score a touchdown, you have three choices. Get ready. You can go for one, you can go for two, or you can go for three. How can that be? Well, if you go for one, we're going to put the ball on the two-yard line. You can't kick it. If you want to go for two, we're going to put it on the five-yard line. And if you want to go for an extra three points, we're going to put the ball on the 10-yard line. And you've got to score a touchdown. There is no kicking an extra point. You either choose to go for one, two, or three. Now, what's interesting about that is they also made a rule that you can do two forward passes on the same play. Now, does that make sense? Let me talk about what that means. It has to happen behind the line of scrimmage the first pass. What they're trying to get rid of is the forward lateral that calls a ball dead. If a quarterback is basically out of the pocket and then laterals forward to a running back or a wide receiver, that wide receiver has to then run with the ball in the NFL. And that's considered a forward pass. In the XFL you will be allowed to pass it forward, let's say two yards to the wing on the side, and that wide receiver or tight end or whoever's out there on the wing will be able to throw a forward pass. So basically as a defense, you have to defend the sides, the middle, because you've got three possible quarterbacks on the field who can stand anywhere they want as long as it's behind the line of scrimmage. I love that rule. That gets rid of, that makes after every touchdown quite exciting. If by chance, and it won't happen with all these one, two, and three point conversion possibilities, but if by chance there's overtime, they eschewed the NFL overtime. Thank God. If I have to hear one more NFL referee explain to me NFL overtime rules, well, whoever wins the coin flip, if they score a touchdown, the game's over. If they only score a field goal, then the other team gets the ball. And if the other team scores a field goal, you keep going. If the other team scores a touchdown, they win because it's a touchdown more than a field goal. Yada, yada, blada, blada. Forget it. XFL has a better plan. They're doing a shootout like soccer and hockey. I love it. You get five tries from the five-yard line. However many points you score, meaning a touchdown, you have to get it in the end zone. It's a shootout. It's like the Old West you're going to have lined up at the five-yard line five straight plays. My guess is they'll alternate. So you'll have offense. I'm, both sides of the field will be used. That's what I would do. I didn't read that. But if I were going to d- design it, that's what I would do. I would have offense, defense of one team, defense, offense of the other team. And you get five plays. You switch off. Whoever scores the most times, that's who wins the game in overtime. I love that. It's brilliant. Second. Do you like watching punts in the NFL? The rule used to be when I was young, and I'd like you to back me up on this for anyone who knows NFL. Anyone out there who knows NFL, do you remember the fair catch below the 10? You're not supposed to. They're all sort of locked in right now. Anyway, the rule is that when you're at the 10-yard line or below, you do not signal for a fair catch in the NFL. That rule has disappeared. People are signaling for fair catches all the time. And in addition, punters are going for the corner. They're trying to get it out of bounds at the three-yard line to pin the defense, to pin the offense. And you know what? That's not all that much fun to watch. Although, if you love defense, it is. But the XFL wants to be offense. So they're not allowing punts to go out of bounds. If they do, you get the ball at the 35-yard line. Imagine it's, it's worse than a touchback in the NFL. The penalty for punting out of bounds is a ball at the 35-yard line, or even better if the ball goes out of bounds earlier, but it never would. So if the ball goes out of bounds at the three, the offensive team gets it at the 35. Brilliant. I would get rid of punting altogether and make teams go for it on fourth down. Just make them go for it. But if you're going to have punting, don't let them pin you down. Telling you, the XFL has some great rules. It's going to be super exciting. I wish I could pick an XFL game for my pick of the day because when it comes to NBA, we don't lose very often. And uh, we didn't lose last night. We had Embiid. We pushed. We had Embiid plus seven uh, over the Thunder, and they did win by seven. Um, How is it that you think bookmakers get it so right, the odds makers, How close are they all the time? It boggles the mind. But going back to the beginning of the show, the reason they do is they have all the information, and they know how to deal with that information better than you and I. Because if you and I could do it, we'd never lose, which we're not going to lose in the NBA, maybe ever again. How about the Brooklyn Nets? My friend here, Marone, I have two wagers with him. It's the Lewis and Mortimer bets. It's a dollar that the Brooklyn Nets will end up with a better record than the Heat. I'm not winning that so far. It's another dollar that the Heat will not host a first-round playoff series. I'm not winning that so far. But I need to start gaining momentum and money If I'm going to lose the end of season bets to Marone, I love picking against teams who are playing the second game of a back-to-back. I love the fact that the Nets are actually getting two points. I don't know why they're at home getting two against the Thunder, other than the fact that my NBA guru, Joey, tells me the Thunder are a way better team than the Nets, and I don't disagree. But if I can get to at home from a team who had to play last night and lost in Philly, and do you know how they get from Philly to Jersey? They don't fly. They take the bus or the train. I'm taking the Nets over the Thunder. Sorry, Maroon. Okay, let's talk, about, uh, let's talk about a team that people like talking about, and uh, it's the Los Angeles Dodgers. God, they're so cocky, aren't they? They were bought by a bunch of insurance guys, Guggenheim. Mark Walter is the head owner. Nice guy. Stan Kasten is the team president. who is uh, Remember, Stan Kasten was the guy who ran a baseball team and a basketball team in Atlanta. He was running the Braves, the Hawks, and the Atlanta, I can't remember what the NHL team was called at the time. He was running so many sports teams at, at the Thrashers that you couldn't even keep track. And then he went on to the Washington Nationals with the Learners, when Ted and Mark Lerner bought the Nationals from Major League Baseball. Stan Kasten was in that ownership group. He just keeps getting jobs. And he's fine. I have nothing against him. I've known him for 18 years. But there's something about Stan that you have to know. And this is not personal. He, he would tell you this about himself. This is business. Um, he has a way. And his way is the way. And it's worked for him because he keeps getting jobs and he keeps getting married to inexperienced ownership groups. When the learners took over in Washington, they were inexperienced. When the Guggenheim partners, Mark Walter, and all that huge group of owners bought the Dodgers from parking lot Frank McCourt, I call him that because he kept the parking lot. So not only did he get $2 billion for his franchise, but he also, or a billion and a half, he also got to keep the real estate around uh, the, the Los Angeles Chavez Ravine. Frank McCourt, smart guy. So Stan Kasten got married to that ownership group, and somehow they won. I'm I'm winking for those of you listening. Somehow that group won the bidding to buy the Dodgers. So Stan Kasten has been the president and part owner of the Dodgers for many years. They've been to the World Series several times. They have not won yet. They've won their division, I want to say, seven years in a row. When we took Don Mattingly from the Dodgers to the Marlins, he had just won the division several times but not won a ring. And since Dave Roberts has been there, I think he's won every single year. But one thing Caston hasn't done is actually won a World Series. And he would argue with you that winning a World Series is much more luck than it is skill. And he would argue with you that making it to the playoffs every year is far more important than winning a ring. I take exception to that. People ask me all the time, would you want to be the Atlanta Braves, who won the uh, National League East for 14 years in a row back in the 90s and 2000s and won one World Series in 1996? Or do you want to be the Florida Marlins, who finish in last place every year but two? And the two years that they win the wild card, they win the World Series both times in 97-03. and Of course, we didn't finish in last place every year, but I'm merely making a point. Would you rather win two World Series or one World Series? Two! Of course, I'd like to be in the playoffs every year, but my legacy is by number of rings. So people in L.A. have started to get frustrated. They're frustrated that the Dodgers are not able to spend more money. But wait a minute. Their payroll is huge every single year. They're over the luxury tax limit every year. They're paying the tax. They're paying into revenue sharing. What are the fans complaining about? Ah, they're complaining that the games haven't been on TV in five years because of a carriage dispute. Do you think the Dodgers care? No, because they're getting paid the amount of their TV deal That amount of money was set in stone when they bought the team. It had nothing to do with whether the games were ever on TV. So for all of you fans in L.A. who can't get Dodgers games, who think that the owners of the Dodgers actually care, they don't because they're getting paid. So Stan Kasten sat down with the writer from the Los Angeles Times and had what I would call a very uncomfortable interview. And this was an interview where Stan Kasson was defending every decision that he's made and saying, I don't know why you perceive that people are upset with the Dodgers or why you perceive, this is him speaking to the writer, why you perceive that we don't have a big fan base. We draw over three, four million people. We're the number one attendance team in baseball. We have revenue off the charts. All of that is true. Why won't they sign a free agent for more than $55 million? Is that because of money? No. Maybe it's because Andrew Friedman is actually smarter than the average GM and the owners there are actually leaving them alone. Now, Stan Kasten and Andrew Friedman have a very interesting dynamic relationship. If you think Stan Caston's not involved in baseball decisions, you're wrong, because he is. I've seen it. Stan Caston, during one winter meetings, we were doing a big trade with the Dodgers. He had his ear to the door of our hotel suite. When I opened the door, I almost gave him a concussion as he scurried away to the elevator. Stan, I know you remember that story. You should have just come in the room. I was in the room, but you wanted to make it seem like Andrew Friedman was completely in charge. Of course, you're the president. It's okay. But what Stan Kasten did that I don't agree with, he got into a PR fight with someone who buys ink by the barrel. You cannot get into a war with anyone who works for a newspaper. I know this. I've tried this. If you're the Dodgers, don't do it again. My wait to see. This is a good one. I can't wait for tonight. Uh, Schitt's Creek, as you know, debuts tonight, 9 o'clock. But from 8 to 9, I get to watch the Jeopardy, greatest of all time tournament. It could be a seven-day tournament. It could be three. The rules are you've got to get three points. To get a point, you've got to win two games, three champions. If you're betting it, bet with Brad Rutter. And by the way, Stan, this was business. It was nothing personal.